Good morning, Grace Covenant. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Resurrection Day to everyone. All right, if you'll take your Bibles with me and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to speak about an amazing portion of Scripture this morning. We're going to pick up in verse 6 of chapter 2. Um, this this is our official launch day as Grace Covenant Church. And uh, it may seem like we're picking up in the middle of a weird spot, but uh, we've been preaching through Ephesians since our soft launch. So those of us who are with us this morning is our official first day uh, as Grace Covenant Church. Um, sorry, you'll have to pick up in the middle of a, of a verse there, but it'll be okay because I'll help it make sense. We'll do a little bit of review. Um, but the first thing I'd like to do, even before we read our passage, I would like everyone to join me in a moment of thanksgiving to God. Um, if, if anyone knew kind of what happened over the last 14, 15 months of God's provision, the things that he's done here, if you would like to hear stories about what God has done in this local body and, and bringing it about and bringing the things that have happened, the, the Summit Church that's paired with us, um, we'd have a whole hour of celebration. I, I just I can't believe what God's provision is uh, that he's brought us here. So if you would join me in a time of praise uh, to our God for where he's brought us at this point, and then we'll dig into the text, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we graciously come before you today uh, in absolute awe at where you have brought this local body. The provision that you have made is nothing short of supernatural. The gifts that you've provided uh, is nothing more than a miracle, uh, nothing less than a miracle, excuse me. And, and Lord, we just, we glorify you for where you've brought us, for the change and healing that you've brought into the lives of people already, uh, for those who have already joined us uh, in, in a desire to worship you as scripture has instructed. We glorify you and thank you for that on this resurrection day, uh, and thank you for your power and authority on the throne where you sit. In your holy name I pray, amen. All right, so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. And so what I'd like to do first is read that with you, and then we're going to catch up just a hair before we dig into it. If you would stand uh, in honor of the one who gave us this word, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. It reads, And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray once more. Holy God, we thank you for this word that you have provided for us. We pray that you will touch our hearts with your spirit as your word is proclaimed. Uh, I ask personally, Lord, that you would remove any distractions, um, nerves, uh, or anything from me that I would simply be the mouthpiece of your holy scripture. Glorify yourself today, Lord, in your holy name I pray. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. I'm going to go first and read verses 1 through 10 again just to catch up where we are. Today's sermon is But God. I mean, it is a second part of this sermon. I'll give you a taste of what we went over last week just so you can know where we're headed today. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 in its entirety reads, And you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom also... 
excuse me, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And so what Paul is doing in this opening of, of chapter 2 and what we covered last week in the first five verses is one very long sentence, uh, a thought process that Paul is trying to get across. And he begins in the first five verses that we covered last week, and that's available on our website if you want to go back and review that. But Paul went through and he tells us about the depravity of man. And he begins by showing us our sinful, dead state, that we are spiritually dead, completely depraved, and unable to turn to a holy God because of the state that we're in. And then he comes in at verse 4 and gives us the best conjunction in all of Scripture, but God. And so he comes in and he begins by saying how terrible we are and says, but God. How dead we are, but God. And so God intervenes and he begins to, to make the argument that God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, and he begins to tell us all about the things that God has done for us and in us. And so essentially what Paul is doing is going into more detail about the praises that he gave in chapter 1. And so now in verse 6, we pick up, yes, it's the middle of a sentence, but how beautiful is it that this sentence arrived in our preaching plan on Resurrection Day? I didn't plan it that way, by the way. I just simply went down as the church was about to launch and thought this would be a good way to break up the service put them all in order, and then laid them on a calendar. And then about two weeks later, I was like, wait, that's Easter. And so verse 6, it says, and raised us up with him. And so now on this glorious day of remembrance about the resurrection of our Savior, we have the opportunity to revel in Christ's victory over death. We get to worship him for the resurrection that he has. And we get to take a look at, in detail, several different purposes that Paul lays out as to the, the, the purpose behind several different aspects of his salvation. So first we're going to begin with verses 6 and 7. Point 1 is raised and seated for a purpose. Raised and seated for a purpose. Look at with me, if you will, at verse 6 and 7 again. It reads, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And you're going to see three different times Paul uses so that. And so each time Paul gives us some information about salvation or how God works salvation or what our purpose is, he's then going to follow up with so that. So he is giving us a reason and a purpose for that reason. And so that's what we're going to look at today is Paul's argument for the reasons behind what God has done in our lives. So the first thing I want us to look at is Christ has raised us up with him. 
Just as we are celebrating his resurrection today, we need to understand that based on our union with Christ, we too can celebrate being raised from spiritual death. Christ was victorious over death when he emerged from that tomb on that day. He raised himself by his own power after willingly giving his life to ransom, to pay the penalty, to be the substitution for all those that he has chosen to save. And then he, out of his own power, raised himself. And in so doing, defeated death, danced across Satan's face, and he applied that to us, raising us from spiritual death, that we might have union with him and hold a righteous standing before a holy God. There's a reason Paul gives us how terrible or how depraved or how hopeless our situation is, and then comes in and tells us, look what God has done. Because the grace of God shines so much brighter when we understand the depravity of sinfulness in the human heart. And so now we get to see that Christ raised us up with him. Colossians 2.13, excuse me, reads, Colossians 2.13, And you, being dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, having graciously forgiven us all our transgressions. So, Christ raises us after forgiving us for all the depravity and sin that Paul has just been explaining to us. And not only does he raise us, not that raising us isn't fantastically amazing and and it's beautiful, but then he takes it a step further. Not only does he raise us, but he seats us. The second part of verse 6, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Think about that for a moment, because I think often when we read through a passage about being raised from the dead, we almost full stop there. We're raised from a spiritual death. That's fantastic. Yes, it is. Praise God for his resurrection. But do you realize he doesn't stop there? In Christ, we are seated in heaven for all intents and purposes. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, but Christ hasn't come a second time. We're still here. Last I checked, I'm still physically on earth. From a spiritual perspective, we have all the benefits and authority over this world that Christ holds as being seated at the right hand of the Father. Because we are united with him. Sin no longer has a hold on the believer. Death no longer has a permanent claim on the believer. It's simply a step into glory. We no longer have to stay away from the throne of God because of our unholiness. We now have... By Christ's union with Christ, we now have the ability, the privilege, by grace, to stand before the throne of a holy God. We are no longer like Israel, who God would say, stay out of the inner inner holy of holies, stay out of even the outer sanctuary. Don't come near the holy mountain. I am holy. Don't approach me. We no longer have that problem. When Christ died, and then you know, we, we honored that three days ago. So when we think about honoring Christ's death, when he died, he ripped that curtain in the Holy of Holies. We no longer have to worry about our position before a holy God because he has taken us and seated us there. Not only do we have that, but we have in our union with Christ, Christ's mediation for us day after day 
moment after moment, every second of every day, we have a perfect Savior who is united with us. And so us being there in front of the Father in Christ, in essence, from a spiritual perspective, Christ is saying, this is, this is united with me. This, this individual that I gave my life for is part of me. He's a co-heir of mine. This is my bride. This is my body. Think of the privilege that we have outside of simply being raised out of spiritual death and the miracle that, that is, because it is a miracle. It's the greatest show, greatest display of God's power in all of human history. But then he takes it that step further and he seats us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Turn with me if you would to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at what Hebrews says about Christ, the great high priest, who was above and beyond the Levitical priesthood, that the type that Christ or that God gave us an example of in the Old Testament, we now get to see the true great high priest. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. It reads, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us take hold of our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. And this is, this is important. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have the confidence of being able to approach the throne of grace because Christ raised us from spiritual death and seated us in the heavenly places with him. Glory to God for that. Brian Chappell says this about this particular portion of Ephesians. The resurrection power of God in us indicates not only that we are forgiven people, but also that we are an empowered people since Christ lives in us. The sin that assaulted us yesterday can be met and overcome by the risen power of God in us. Tomorrow does not have to be like yesterday for those who are in Christ Jesus. The power that we have in our union with Christ cannot be overstated. Because I think a lot of times we as people get caught up in the economy, we get caught up in politics, and we get caught up in the culture, and we get caught up in all the things that are are not going our way or not going according to Scripture. And, and that's okay. We should be having an impact, but that should not be our focus. Our focus should be resting in Christ and looking to Him for the power that indwells us to withstand the evil of the world. To stand up against those who would say, bow the, sin to the, or bow the knee to the, the sin of our particular idol or our particular choice. We have the power to withstand that. Ephesians 1, and 23, even here, just a few verses before our current passage. Paul sets up on purpose in this letter. He comes in and he tells us how glorious and powerful Christ is. Verses 22 and 23 of chapter 1, it says, And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Church, what I'm trying to get us to understand is that we serve a victorious, risen Savior 
and we do serve him, but we are united with him. We are raised with him. We are we have, by his grace, attained the spiritual power of being seated in heaven already. The already not yet of our salvation is that we have absolute confidence in the power that is within us. You have the power of Christ within you to defeat the sin that besets you. You have the power of Christ in you to raise your children in glory and admonition of God. The fear and admonition of God. Do you get where I'm going with this? Christ is united and in you. You have that power. And there's a very specific reason. So let's look at verse 7. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. There's the purpose. So he has raised us and seated us for a purpose. That purpose, Paul tells us, is so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness. The way that's worded is a very Roman or Greek way of, of putting a bunch of adjectives together. He is, he is copying the, the way that they would address Caesar. They would put a bunch of things together, the glorious majesty of the everlasting Caesar and those kinds. Paul is doing that but using adjectives that, that would far surpass an earthly king, and he's putting them together saying, although Caesar may have this from people, people may describe him as this, nothing compares to God. And so now what he's saying is, because he has raised us and seated us, he does that for his glory. He does that for his glory. Now, Josh, you just said we have this power because we're united with Christ. We have this power to defeat sin. Doesn't that mean he gives us that so that we can defeat sin? That's just a really good perk. What God does here is all of these things, raising us and seating us so that we will glorify him. So that he will receive all glory and honor. So that people will know that he is the great and kind king the merciful and gracious God, that he is the creator who redeemed an enemy of him to himself. And this this idea of ages is actually the idea of all types of ages. And so what most agree with ages to come is the current time of Christ's death to the time that he comes back and then the age of the time after he comes back for eternity. God is already in the business of glorifying himself through every believer today. God has been in the business of glorifying himself through the power of redemption for the last 2,000 years. And God was in the business of glorifying himself by pointing towards his plan of redemption for the previous centuries before Christ's death. We are here to glorify our creator. That is our lot in life. That is our simple, that is our simple creation mandate is to glorify our God. So that's what I want us to focus on. That's the application of these first two verses is understanding that we have the power to defeat sin because Jesus is united and indwells us. We are united with him. We are his co-heirs of, of God. And so we have power to stand against those things that would trip us, make us fall, guide us into a ditch so that we would glorify him. God doesn't give us those powers to simply pull our jackets over our chest and go, man, 
look how good I did this week. No, what we do is we humbly fall beneath our knees. There's a reason Paul starts with how bad we are and then goes into how good God is. Because we can go, look how bad I was. Look how dead I was. I was an enemy of God with his wrath sitting upon me day after day after day. And yet he redeemed him, me to himself. Look at that. Look what God did. And now I get to, to get up every day and take another breath to praise him. And the world doesn't understand that kind of love. The world doesn't understand that kind of change. And so then they, could, they simply go, I don't, I don't get it. And then we have the, the privilege of pointing them to Christ, not to ourselves. And we're going to see, lest anyone should boast, we're going to see Paul. Paul covers that here in just a minute pretty heavily. But we have been changed and transformed so that we might glorify our King. So we've looked at the purpose for being raised and seated. Next, we're going to look at given a gift for a purpose. Given a gift for a purpose. Verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians chapter 2. It reads, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Grace is a gift. The definition of grace is unmerited favor, something you cannot possibly earn, something that no matter what would happen, no matter how hard you tried, no matter how hard you worked, all the right things, um, you know, thinking of even the Roman Catholic Church, all the Hail Marys, all the confessions you can go to, none of that matters for anything. It is by grace, unmerited favor of a holy God. And it's through that gift of faith. So as we read verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And so what Paul is saying, both grace and faith are a gift. What Paul is truly trying to do here is explain to the Ephesians and to us later on that salvation is thoroughly an act of God. In no way, shape, or form do humans have any capacity in, in the slightest iota to make an impact to their spiritual deadness. In fact, when you look through the definitions of Scripture about how a man is before salvation, before regeneration, before the new birth, they describe it as dead, dry bones. Ezekiel. Can dead, dry bones do anything? They can't even understand that they're dead and dry and Shriveled up. Those who are dead spiritually cannot even understand their position before a holy God, lest the Spirit, unless the Spirit work in them first. Paul is telling us that even the, the gift of faith, that the faith that we exercise in Christ, the understanding of trusting what Christ has done for us, is a gift. We cannot conjure up that faith. 2 Peter 1.1, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you, but 2 Peter 1.1. It's the very first verse of, of that letter of Peter. And it says, Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received the same kind of faith as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's writing to believers, and he says, to those who have received, 
the same kind of faith as ours. It doesn't sound like something someone conjured up from within, right? I'm going to bolster my faith or, uh, you know, if you write me a check big enough, I'll make your faith bigger. We've all heard those things. That is not how faith works. Faith is a precious gift from God by his grace and his grace alone. In fact, two pieces of the five solas of the Protestant Reformation came from this, this verse right here. Grace alone by faith alone. Grace alone by faith alone. Unless I haven't shown you enough that scripture teaches that, that this is the way salvation works. Philippians 1.29. Philippians 1.29 also says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So what is Christ granted? To believe in him. The belief that you have in Christ is a gift from God. It is not something you can muster yourself. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason that we cannot muster our own faith. That God in his sovereignty and his perfect justice knew that those of us who were dead in our transgressions as sins, as the first verse of chapter 2 says, there's a reason that he does not allow it to be something of us. Because we as humans would twist that into something of our own. Every single time. For him to get the glory, it is absolutely from him. Every ounce of glory for salvation is due him because we have no, no part in it. No part in it. So at the end of verse 8, it says, oops, lost my place, for, or end of verse 9, excuse me. So in verse 9, not of works, so that no one may boast. So that. So that no one may boast, so that we cannot come back before a holy God and say, I chose you, see, I made the right decision. So that we cannot become, come before a holy God and say, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps because I did this many good deeds before I came to you. So that God would get every millimeter, I don't even have, okay, you guys get what I'm saying. No matter how small of a portion, we cannot. There's nothing we can put into it. I don't have any more words to describe it. I am, I am out of words, which is hard to do. Okay? I'm out of words. This gift of faith is so that we cannot boast before a holy God. Because faith involves the abandonment of any attempt to justify oneself and an openness to God which is willing to accept what he has done in Christ. That is what faith is. It's an abandonment of any attempt to justify ourself. That free gift of grace. We get to abandon all hope of ourselves. And believe me, your hope is much better placed in the sovereign king of the universe than it is in your own self. There's nothing we can do. And God ensures that we cannot boast so that he will receive all of the glory. Romans 3.20 echoes this. Echoes the, 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 the need that we have to be justified by him. It says, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For, the, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. No flesh will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. Has everyone fully understood that we cannot impact our salvation? 
the works of the law do not justify. They simply crush our hopes to do so. And the application of this particular part of the passage is extremely important. It's extremely important. Let us never, hear me on this, let us never undervalue the sacrifice of Christ by thinking we had something to do with it. You are literally spitting in the face of a holy God when you think you can do something beyond what what he has already done. We have spent the last week Some of us, the last three days specifically, but the last week of Holy Week, we have spent an entire week observing what Christ did the last week on earth. And every time you think you have impacted any part, anytime anyone thinks they have impacted any part of their salvation, you undervalue everything he did. Do not do that to my Savior. He did the work. It is him who receives the glory. Do not boast in that. If you boast in anything, boast in Christ. Fall to your knees every morning and thank God for the ability to breathe again for that day. Fall to your knees and thank him for the grace of the sacrifice that he made three days ago, as we remember three days ago, when he gave himself on that cross. And the, 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 in what he endured was unbelievable. And he did that for you. Don't cheapen that. That victorious cry of it is a finish, it is accomplished on that cross. Don't take away from our Savior's victory by thinking you have an impact on that. Every day, look to Christ. Rest in what he did. Because when we try to bring in what we can do, we realize that we can't maintain it, and our entire framework of assurance falls apart. Our motto here at Grace Covenant Church is, where the weary find rest in Christ. It is wearisome to not look to Christ for everything. It is wearisome. It is tiresome. It is a burden when you think you can do it and you wake up day after day and you try hard, do good, fail. Try hard, do good, fail. And that failure every time can be averted when we look to the power of Christ. We just established, Paul just established the power that we have in our union with Christ. Look to that. Rest in him. Rest in him. The third purpose that we're going to look at is verse 10, because we are created for a purpose. Verse 10 reads, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. This is the, in my opinion, the key verse of all of Ephesians. Because Paul writes this letter in such a way that it's very easy for us. It's probably one of the easiest epistles to understand from a, from a high-level aspect because the first three chapters about what Christ did for us, the indicative. The last three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, are about what we are to do to glorify Christ, which is the imperative, the command, what we are to go and do. And so in this one verse, Paul summarizes that we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works that we would walk in them. So he is basically summarizing the idea of his letter in this one verse. And there's so much here. So first, we are his workmanship or creation. So the, the word in the original language there for workmanship can also be creation. For we are his creation, both physically. So we have to think of Colossians where it says that all things are created in Christ. All things are created by him and through him and for him. And then we think about the spiritual aspect. Because I think 
Here, Paul is giving us the spiritual aspects of the new creation, that we are workmanship. We are his creation because of him giving us a new birth. If you are dead and then you're not dead, the best way to describe that is birth. It's a new birth. It's a resurrection. It's new. So Christ has created this new. Think of John 3. As Nicodemus comes to speak to Jesus in the middle of the night, Nick at night. I always make that joke. Nicodemus comes at night, and he goes, how can I be saved? And Christ says, you cannot be saved unless you are born new. So Christ makes us a new creation in him, spiritually raising us from the dead for good works. Now, we already know that these good works, that the things that we are to do after salvation are to bring glory to him. But there are specific things that Christ has created us for. Did you know, believer, that you were saved to do what Christ tells you to do? You were saved for that. He created good works for you to do that he had planned before he created you anew. He has a plan for your life, not in a weird word of faith kind of way, okay? But he does have a plan for your life. He has good works planned for you to do. But the glorious thing, the glorious thing, look at the little word between created and Christ Jesus. In. We are created new in Christ Jesus. Now, if you read that verse without in, that'd be really scary. We are new and we have to go do all these things now. We have all these things to do. We have all these lists that we have. We have all these. We have to be like Christ. In a way, yes, that's true. But understand that in Christ is how we are like him. He made us new in himself. Salvation does not mean saying a prayer, getting a high five from everyone in the congregation, and a pat on the backside to go out and do whatever. Just go figure it out. We are united in Christ because he created us new in him for the good works that he has planned for us. So when we think earlier in this text about the glory that we are to bring to God in verse 7, that he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness, this is how he plans to work that out. This is how he plans to impact the world that we the world can see his glory. He has a specific plan. God is the best planner, guys. He is. Okay? He planned the redemption and then planned what each elect individual would do for the rest of their lives after he saves them. Rest in that. Rest in what Christ already has planned for you. Look at the text and go, oh, this is amazing. Christ is beautiful. Let me be like him. And then our desires change, our wants change. And we are suddenly looking back at the last year and you go, wow, I didn't get as angry as I used to. Wow, God, God gave me confidence to speak about something that I never thought I'd have confidence to speak about before. God gave me the strength to, to witness to someone who I've been scared to for the last five years. Anybody, anybody experience any of the things that I'm talking about? As God changes you, you look back and you go, I am different than I used to be. And then you have assurance of that. You have assurance of your salvation based on the change that he makes in you. Do you see how that redemptive plan comes full circle and how good and gracious God is? That's why our motto is to rest in Christ because it is all of him. It is all in him. We are united in Christ. 
And there's some specifics. I, I want to give just a few passages of Scripture that show what our purpose is and how we can do some of those things. Titus 2, if you'll turn there with me, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It's a smaller book in the back there. <clears throat> Sorry, it's getting warm in here. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 reads, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us that, denying ungodliness and worldly desires, we should live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession. Now look here, zealous for good works. So Jesus Christ does all of this. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Christ does all of that. He makes us zealous for good works. But did you know that being part of a local body of believers helps to stimulate those good works? That's how God works, right? We encourage one another because we're one body under one head united with the same Christ, that we can look to one another and encourage each other. Hebrews chapter 10, let me show you. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. We, as a body of believers, are to encourage one another to be zealous for good works, to encourage one another in the good things of God. That's one of the ways that he does this. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. It says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. One of the primary ways that Christ sanctifies you as an individual is by bringing you to a local body that you are committed to, and that can help change you by God. If God is in all of us and all of us are here together, doesn't it make sense that Christ would use us to help each other to grow in him? We're one body, Christ with a head, but we know that Christ is not only the head, but he then fills all the individuals of the body. So Christ is the head and the body, in essence. And then he uses us and our gifting that he gives us by changing us to then spur one another to good works. Spur one another away from sin. Spur one another to read scripture. Challenge each other. What have you learned? What's God teaching you? Hey, how's that struggle? Can I pray with you? That's part of being a part of being a local, excuse me, part of being a part of the local body. We are to spur each other to good works. And there's also an exhortation for our personal lives. You don't have to turn there. I'm sure we're all very familiar with it. Romans chapter 12, the first two verses. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, so it's only by God's mercy, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. So there's just two examples 
that we are to be sanctified in doing the good works of God in the local body and spurring one another on to that. And then there's the idea of our individual change as by the mercies of God, we present our bodies as a sacrifice so that God may do what he will with us after salvation. Now, those are, those are two, that's a, that's a pretty heavy, pretty heavy thing to think about. Because verse 10, I'm going to read it one last time. For we as his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That is challenging to know that God expects us to, to do certain things. But here's what I want you to, to walk away with even more than the challenge. Yes, live according to the instructions of Christ. Matthew 22, 36 through 40 says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself on all, all commandments hang on these two. So love God and love your neighbor. So that's challenging, but we should be way more encouraged by the fact that Paul closes this 10 verse section saying that in Christ, we have been created to do these things. This is not on our own. This is not me hanging the, the weight of the law back on you again. Christ paid for the law. In fact, he paid the price of every sin you had breaking that law before your salvation, and he has already paid for every sin of the breaking that law after salvation. Rest in that. Be encouraged that, yes, we are called to live outside the norms of culture and outside the norms of the accepted sins of the world. Yes, we are called to be different, but we are called to be different in Christ who gives us that power. Paul is, it, it, the, the explanation here is the Spirit-inspired Paul to write this is perfect. His logical argument is sound. It's, it's just, there's no flaw. We were terrible, God saved us, and he gives us the power to do this. That, that, that's, that's what these 10 verses have said. And right in the middle of verse 4, but God, it is all through him. It is all because of him. Let's rest in that. Everything we do is of him. Our faith is of him. Our salvation is of him. Our desires and intentions to do good works are from him, and the very ability to do those works are from him for his glory. Take a moment and think on that for just, just a few moments while, while Wes comes back up to wait us another song. But think about that. Praise God. Pray to him for the change that he's made. Let's pray and worship him together now as a congregation for the, the absolute privilege of gathering in his church with his body the day we celebrate his resurrection so that we can look at his power in us from his salvation to do his works for the rest of our lives that he has given us. Did I emphasize Christ enough in that sentence? Understand, it is our resting in Christ. That's what we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gracious opportunity to come before you today that we can look at this passage of Scripture and understand that you are the one that has made the impact in our lives. That you are the one that has brought us here as a body, filling each one of us with your spirit, giving us the power, raising us, seating us on high for your glory, and giving us the things that we are to do in you as being new creations and the things that we are to pursue and follow. Help us to dig into your scriptures to see what that looks like. Change our desires for us. Help us to rest in you and the finished work that you have completed for us. In your holy name I pray, amen.